Make more birdies. A bottle of bourbon, a little glass, and some ice. This is not a tip. This is a prescription, trust me. Mm. If you don't, you will fall out of balance. Welcome to Birdies and Bourbon. Sit down and have a sip. Welcome back, everybody, to the Birdies and Bourbon show. Uh, We're going to get to learn a hell of a lot about Pennsylvania rye whiskey today with co-founder of Dad's Hats Rye, John Cooper. John, thanks for coming on the show with us, man. We appreciate it. Good good to be here, guys. Thanks very much for having me. I'm a little slow. i got to pour my own... Well, you can see you're slow. Sometimes Dan says I'm a little too fast. So, true. Uh, yeah, we'll, right. we'll, we'll get it worked out by the end of this thing. We'll I'm settle sure. at 13 holes. <laughs> uh, yes. up here today. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah, it's, uh, I guess that's the fortunate thing about, um, about being in Georgia is, uh, I mean, if you, if you don't like the weather today, just wait till tomorrow and you can probably get out and play around. So we play up, we play up here pretty much all year round. As long as there's no snow on the greens, that's, yeah. that's what we try to do. I and mean, myself and my crazy friends, we will, we will go out and play when it's, when it's below zero, the ball goes a lot further when it hits, when it hits frozen ground. <laughs> I, I have experienced that before. Yeah. I guess until they have to start tarping them, you're, you're in pretty good shape, I suppose. Right. So yeah, right now everything's fine. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, John, before we get started, let's tell folks what we're going to be tasting. And uh, as I mentioned, we're going to get a little history about Pennsylvania sure. rye. So uh, the two expressions that uh, that Dan and I'll be tasting, it's the dad's hat, uh, straight rye whiskey at 95 proof age for a minimum of four years. Right. And uh, then we'll flip over eventually to uh, which I'm so glad that you guys are doing this, man. I I love it when folks take advantage. Uh, I know it's a lot more work and it's, you know, there's things going on. But if you've already got four years and you've got the capacity to do it, a bottled and bond product. I mean, I I think there's really something there, right, that that kind of says, hey, here's what we're doing. Here's what what we're putting in the bottle. And it holds up to the the rigors or standards, if you will, of of that to carry that bottled and bond label. So I, I think it's fantastic to see. Um, I was almost going to call you a young distillery, uh, maybe a younger craft distillery. I mean, y'all have been in business since uh, what, 2010 ish. And uh, you know, we've got, uh, we've, we've got, well, and the 95 says a minimum, right? And I I think some people kind of get hung up on the four year mark on a bottle and bond and it's just, it's a minimum of four years. It doesn't have to Mm -hmm. be, it could be older than four. So, uh, Nevertheless, I've said plenty. I'm going to take a sip of this. Uh, tell us what's happening up in Bucks County. Okay, so we started Dad's Hat back in um, 2010. We actually built, wrote the business plan. Um, we spent the first year doing nothing but research. And one of the things that we were inspired by was pre-prohibition and pre-revolutionary war. Uh, Pennsylvania was the largest uh, distiller of rye whiskey in the world. There was more rye whiskey distilled and bottled in Pennsylvania than any place else. Um, Maryland was actually second. They came in second to Pennsylvania uh, by a significant margin, but Pennsylvania really was the birthplace and home of rye whiskey. And a lot of brands that people are familiar with, like uh, Michter's, Old Overholt, uh, Rittenhouse, um, these are all originally Pennsylvania brands. Um, they were old original Pennsylvania distilleries. They made rye whiskey the way it was made in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania rye had a very distinct flavor profile. 
Very different than the Kentucky rise, very different than the big rise that are coming out of uh, MGP in Indiana, very different than Canadian rise. And the reason was, is that before prohibition, uh, rye whiskey, and it still is, is a difficult grain to work with. It doesn't ferment very well. So you have to have a lot of malt uh, to get that whiskey to ferment. Now, before prohibition back in the 1800s, you didn't have uh, distiller's malt. You didn't have these artificial enzymes, these things you needed in order to be able to get the rye to ferment. So the way they the way they did that is they put natural boosters in there. So they put a lot of malted rye. They put a lot of malted barley in there. So the research that we did brought us back to a mash bill that's eighty percent rye grain, five percent malted rye, and then fifteen percent malted barley. Why am I telling you this? Well, the reason I'm telling you this is because it has a very very distinct and different flavor profile. Pennsylvania rye does not taste like Kentucky rye. So there's no corn in here. There's no wheat in here. So you've got 80% locally sourced rye grain. We get all our grain from one farm, by the way. And that farm is in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. That farm was an original William Penn land grant farm. Oh, wow. so that family has been farming that land since William Penn gave them the deed to that back in the early 1700s. Hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, we also use five uh, percent malted barley, and then what we do is we use fifteen. Uh, excuse me, five percent malted rye, and then we use fifteen percent malted barley. The fifteen percent malted barley we use is not distiller's malt. We actually use the really good stuff. So we use two-row malted barley, which is the same stuff that your best craft brewery. That's the stuff they use. Sure. All right. So we've had we've had brewers from you know several good craft brewers around Philadelphia, they've all come to visit us. They all age beer in our barrels. And they'll walk in the door and they go, well, you guys are using Bree Small. We go, yeah, we are. And um, it's the expensive stuff, but it's worth it. So a lot of ryes, they're typically harsh on the back of the throat. They're really tough to drink neat. What I like is you guys are actually sampling these things neat right now, uh, which is how I drink my whiskey. So I drink our rye neat. These two particular ones, the, the straight rye and also the bottled and bond. And when you taste this whiskey, you're going to get an explosive nose is going to come off the top. You're going to get a lot of good spice and baking spice right on the tip of the tongue. Going down the center of your palate, you should be getting a good hit of uh, cinnamon. Middle of your tongue should be drying out completely. Now, what's happening is on the outside edges of your tongue, that tongue's actually getting wet. And that wetness and that moisture, that's where the malt's starting to kick in. Now, this 95 proof is what you're tasting here. And there's no harshness on the back of this whiskey at all. It's um, so, you know, and, and uh, we, so we, we're going to speak candid. This is one of those moments where I said there's no gotcha moments. Oh and, but, but, and, and it's not. We go. you, you'll, you'll get it once I finish. Thanks for coming on, uh, John. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but, but you, you, mentioned the, you mentioned kind of the um, uh, that that uh, uh, a brewer's profile, right, that you might be getting out of this. And, you know, when you, you mentioned a few ryes earlier, and I probably have all of them back on the shelf, and I've, probably, I've had them all in multiple different And they're all good, by the way. Yeah, different. absolutely. But but where you're talking about the finish on this, and, and a lot of times people will, will explain or, or, or they'll be looking for a way to describe it, and they're talking about how spicy the rye whiskey is. 
and it's and it's getting a little bit of that burn in the back of the throat. And this is to me, it's that chocolate malty. I would say though, a little bit if, of black cherry. Yeah, absolutely. And and I I haven't had any today, uh, but I do find I do tend to get this uh, in in a lot of rise. And it's not the spice of a jalapeno, but it's that kind of that a little bit of that vegetal. And, and it, it's the malt that's kind of pulling that all together, which I particularly enjoy. Uh, yeah, it's but, a little green bell pepper. You get the green bell pepper. And um, we actually have batches where the jalapeno will stand out more. Wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Th- this is, you know, again, it's like, that's I don't know. Typically yeah. in our younger whiskeys, okay. as they get older, the green pepper and the jalapeno has a tendency. It, 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 it damps down, you know, mm-hmm. it, it'll come down a little bit. It's still there. You'll find it about three quarters of the way back on the throat, um, up in the upper roof of the mouth is where it'll show up. But yeah, that, that whole salivating process and then kind of drying out the tongue of this. I mean, it, that's, I couldn't have explained it better myself, actually. That, that's, a, that's the process, that the chemical reaction. I'm glad you got that. Yeah, that's going on inside of my mouth is, is just that. I 100% and, agree, Cal. You could not have done it any better. Yeah, and, and I think that that's helping to take away, you know, again, what most people would say, oh, I need to add something to a rye whiskey because it's a little, it's, it's got too much bite for me. And yeah. this thing is like, you, I'm not getting that sharpness or bite on the front end that's unpleasant. I'm actually getting kind of a lot of honey, floral, citrus in this, which, again, if you described a rye whiskey, most people depending on, you know, where you're at in your, your, your whiskey drinking journey might be like, uh, that doesn't sound like a rye whiskey to me, which is why we're talking about dad's hat. Right. And kind of the, the experience that, that you might be getting and trying new things. So see this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So this is, this is what we call our classic rye. So this is 90 proof, but this whiskey is aged in 15 gallon quarter casks. Oh, wow. Okay. 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 So this whiskey is, it says on a label, minimum of six months. We stopped doing that a long time ago, but this is, this is actually about 10 to 12 months old. Wow. Okay. Right in that range. It's aged in uh, barrels that are number four char, um, Missouri Oak, uh, with some New York, some New York barrels we have thrown in there. And uh, this whiskey is going to be a little bit more peppery. It's okay. younger, way younger. So because it's younger, you're not going to get those vanilla notes. You're going to pick up more spice. This is more of a cocktail whiskey. This is what we make our Manhattans and old fashions and Sazeracs. And this is what we do with that guy. Sure. Um, the two you have with you this evening, those are, I call them sipping rice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I drink them neat or I drink them with one big ice cube. And the other thing I do with them is when I'm in the mood, I will make Manhattan's <laughs> out of the straight ride. Uh, and uh, it makes just, it just makes it killer. He Manhattan. gave you permission, Cal. I, I, I know. And, and I, I'm a, you know, a Manhattan or a, uh, a Boulevardier. I'm, I'm a sucker for those things. And uh, yeah, I can already tell that, that that's going to happen at some point. I, we're going to have a, a posting of a cocktail on, on, uh, on this show. And well, these are also, um, you guys smoke cigars. Like, can I assume that question? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So these also go really, really well with a cigar. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these are good choices, you know, for, 
for what we're doing here. So when you look at the color in here and you look at the legs, you, it's kind of oily and viscous. And it's uh, these barrels are running closer to five years old. So one of the things that we do is um, every single type of rye we make, we only make rye. That's it. That's all we do. Uh, we do one thing. We do it well. Um so all of our individual expressions of rye, whether it's our classic rye or it's our straight rye or it's our bottled and bond or if it's one of our rock and ryes or honey finish or maple finish or vermouth or port finish, they all have their own individual blending tank. Okay. So as we start to harvest barrels uh, and empty barrels, what we do is we always empty those barrels back into those tanks. So we never let those oh, tanks yeah. get below half full. Nice. They're always at least half full. So we're always blending back into prior bottlings. And and the reason we do that, is, and, and, and this is this is one of the concerns that a lot of folks have with, uh, quote, craft distilleries, right? Um, people focus on things like um, batch numbers and bottle numbers and that kind of stuff. Well, the problem is, Every single barrel of whiskey tastes slightly different. They all taste different. If they didn't taste different, people wouldn't do single barrels, right? Right. So they all taste a little bit different. Now, the problem is, is when you're trying to blend those together, you develop a flavor profile, right? So, okay, so Dad's Hat Classic Whiskey tastes like this. Dad's Hat Straight Red Whiskey tastes like this. When you go buy your next bottle, you want it to taste like the one you just tasted. Sure. Right? Or at least pretty darn close you, well, you other other than my personal like whatever i've had to eat that day or that something that may sure, change yeah. it but, but the whiskey itself should resemble a, a profile yeah yeah you want to be able to pull that cork out you're going to get hit with that nose and you go oh, okay this is dad's hat and the way you get that is you do this process called forward blending we're always blending back into what we did before and that's how you get this very consistent flavor puff. You're going to slight variation bottling to bottling. <clears throat> Excuse me. But when Herman and I sit down, or, or we rarely ever sit down, but when we're standing there and we're trying to get ready to do another bottling, one of the things that we will do is we'll go pull several bottles out, we'll taste them, and we'll taste what we're about to bottle. We want to make sure we do this like a day or two in advance. We want to make sure that everything is going to come inside that flavor profile mm -hmm. is going to fit in that. And that's why we do the forward blending that we do. So, you know, when you look at the outside of the labels on the bottles, that's why it says, you know, age the minimum of four years. Well, this is close to five. Um, age close to six is mostly 10 because when we first started with those tanks, that was the minimum age we put in at that time. And by law, you have to put the lowest possible age on the label. And we're, it's what we do. Yeah. And we're fine with that. Yeah. So uh, if I can, if I can back up just uh, maybe a, a few steps, uh, sure. you, you, you mentioned Herman. Uh, so there's, so one, uh, how did that come to be? And, and how did two, um, how did two business guys decide that you're going to start making uh, friggin' rye in P Pennsylvania rye, uh, you know, and and making the best rye that you possibly can. And then if that somehow gets us or dovetails us over to uh, the MSU relationship experiment, I, I don't know what what you're calling. Um, well, like I said, um, 
we started the distillery back in uh, the concept of the distillery back in 2010. At that particular point in time, Herman and I were both between we're both between jobs at that time. Um, I spent 35 something years in um, sales, marketing, and executive management, mostly in technology companies. Um, Herman um, was same thing, but in chemical engineering. Uh, he spent uh, 32 years in in the chemical engineering um, business. Um, he built chemical plants all over the world. He worked for uh, flavor and fragrance companies. He did those types of things. Um, we actually met each other back at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, we were fraternity brothers. Uh, so um, I actually was sandwiched right between Herman's older brother and Herman. So I know his older brother and I know him. His older brother's two years older than me uh, and Herman's two years younger than me. Uh, and we were all fraternity brothers. Um, so uh, matter of fact, a significant number of our uh, early stage angel investors were all fraternity brothers. And um, we um, had stayed friends uh, from college all the way all the way past. Our our uh, girlfriends at the time met each other and liked each other, and we eventually married those women, and uh, they've remained friends as well. Um, nice. I mean, Herman and Valerie are actually the very first babysitter my son ever had. Uh, and he turns 40 in January. So wow. we've known each other that long. Um, we are both, uh, home brewers, uh, Herman, way more serious about it than me. Uh, again, he's the chemical engineer. So he was much more precise and did a significantly better job than I did. Um, and we were sitting around talking about, you know, what's the next thing going to be? I mean, craft craft brewing was really exploding at the time. And there was an article actually in the New York Times that talked about uh, the advent of craft distilling and the rebirth of classic cocktails. Mm. And that was right around 2009, 2010 is when that came out. And we started talking about it. And we said, you know, we're ever going to do this. Now's a great time to do it. Um, so why don't we go take a look at this? And we need to do something that's different. And, um, Herman grew up in a bar. Uh, he lived upstairs from his father's bar directly across the street from a steel, steel mill in uh, Manesson, Pennsylvania. Uh, and they served a lot of Pennsylvania rye back in that bar. And that uh, the prominent brand that they liked was called Sam Thompson. Sam Thompson was a, an original Pennsylvania style rye. And he had a lot of fond memories associated with that. I grew up uh, the son of a stonemason uh, in the Northeast Bronx in New York City. Um, and lived in a blue collar neighborhood. And I basically grew up in, in bars like Divines and Portside and places like that, where my, uh, my uncles and my dad and my grandfather and everybody would hang out and they drank beers and shots of rye. And you remember that from when you're a kid, you know? And so we started talking about it and we said, you know, we don't know many people that are making rye. Everybody's making vodka. Uh, some people trying to make gin, but why don't we see if we can't make rye? And, uh, like I said, that was the start. So what we did is, um, we worked with the, um, uh, craft distilling and brewing. Uh, they You'll come back. So we shipped two tons of rye grain from a grain broker in Pennsylvania. We shipped it up to Michigan. When we went to Michigan. 
and uh, we started to make rye whiskey. And uh, we experimented with yeast, we experimented with barrel sizes, we experimented with mash bills, um, and we started to learn uh, what not to do. And we started to learn what to do. What not to do is oftentimes more important than what to do. <laughs> and um, we got a tremendous amount of education and we started. Uh, one of the things that we did is we made a commitment is we were going to be very true to the concept of what is a Pennsylvania style and what is a Pennsylvania rye. Mm. So what that does is right out of the box is that completely eliminates any opportunity whatsoever to source from somebody else. So it takes, it takes Indiana right off the table. That, so, that, I'm thinking that's a hell of an investment up front, right? And which, which you'll, you'll probably get into the kind of the short barrels and why you made some decisions, but. Well, one of the reasons why we went with short barrels is we were, we were sitting around and saying, okay, you know, we're going to be hemorrhaging cash here. I mean, we're, we're right. buying, we're, we're, we're leasing a building. Uh, we're buying an enormous amount of equipment, uh, which isn't cheap. Um, we're buying grain. Uh, we're paying utility bills. Uh, we're not making any money and we're doing this, uh, with no salary and no income. And then on top of that, uh, we got to buy barrels. They're not cheap at all. And, um, we started saying, okay, we're going to do this anyway. We're going to stick with it. We're going to do what we need to do, but how do we get whiskey to market quickly? And we did not want to sell moonshine. We didn't want to sell, and we also didn't want to sell, you know, white whiskey and, um, but you can't call it whiskey. We want to understand white rye. And that's apparently a fairly common term now, but, um, I'm a big scotch drinker. love scotch. Um, and one of my favorites is, uh, Lafroy. And, uh, I like, I like the heavy stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, so Lafroy makes a non-age statement, water cask scotch. And I remember sitting there looking at that and I'm going, you know, if they can make whiskey this good in quarter casts, don't tell me you can't make good rye whiskey in quarter casts. Mm-hmm. I was thinking you were thinking, hell, I'll just make my own. Yeah, well, <laughs> we, didn't, we don't make malted whiskey. But, but what we did do is we decided, you know, we're going to try 15-gallon barrels. So uh, we found a cooperage in... Uh, out in, uh, they were in Arkansas as, uh, Gibbs, uh, in Arkansas, they sold 15 gallon barrels and they would char them for us. We wanted to do a heavier charge. So we went with a number four char instead of a number three char. And we used Gibbs and we also eventually wound up using McGinnis out of Missouri. McGinnis is our primary supplier of barrels now. And, um, both these guys make phenomenal barrels. Um, you know, charred staves, charred heads, very, very consistent quality, good, solid quality. And, um, we started getting great whiskey out of these barrels inside six months and, uh, we're getting gorgeous color, gorgeous depth. And, you know, you look at the color on this whiskey, this is 10 month old whiskey. There's not an artificial thing in here. There's no artificial coloring, no artificial flavoring, no nothing. It's, it's the same thing, obviously with, with, with this one, right? Um, I can tell you a story about the color in, in a second, but, um, so we started out with uh, 15 gallon quarter cast. So we were able to bring whiskey to market, um, basically seven months after we started putting it in barrels. Now, looking back at that, 
that whiskey was probably still too young. It had the new reek, but you know, we were like really excited. Thought it was great. And, and, um, we probably pushed the button a little bit early, but we got away with it and, uh, people liked it. And then we started bumping up the age. And then eventually what happened is our, our quarter cask whiskey was named uh, craft whiskey of the year by whiskey advocate magazine. Wow. And rated over 90 points. So you can make good whiskey in small barrels. It's different. <laughs> it's different. Mm. Um, yeah. I think we make better whiskey in big barrels. Hmm. So if we can, so, you know, you, you, and a lot of people have that viewpoint, right? And, and I, I think, mm-hmm. I, at least my, my opinion, which really doesn't mean anything. It's just what I, what, what I hear on the streets, right? It's, well, we're using small barrels because it's got better access to, uh, closer access to the wood. And I'm like, I don't know, maybe but it's, concentration it's, liquid to wood. Yep. Yeah. But then you've got less liquid. So I, I, I get it. I, I get the, the chemistry side and what's happening there. Um, I, to me personally, I, I would, I with you, I think that whether it's a small barrel or a big barrel, well, actually you said you think the big barrels are better, but if you're putting, when you're laying down big, bigger barrels, you're probably, if they're, you've got more time, you've got more time to age them. You've got more room to age them. So it, it's, it changes the dynamic of what happens if right. you're using smaller barrels right. to begin right. with, because you're using the smaller barrels for intent. And it's that, you know, that the idea is, is it's going to, it's going to help to mature things faster versus, Hey, we've got time and we can allow mm-hmm. things to mature throughout a traditional process is what I would call it. There's a couple of things. There's a couple of things. Great points all the way across the board. There's a couple of things you got to think about here, right? So you're you're just starting out. You've got no you've got no free cash flow, right? Okay. So you've got you also have you also have a mash bill that you you think is going to be good, mm-hmm. but you don't know it's going to be good. Yeah. So you want to be able to test that in Oak in a reasonable period of time. So if God forbid you need to make a course correction, you can make a course correction. Sure. So think about this. So if you're going to go fill 50 barrels, let's just pick a number. We're going to fill 50 barrels. Would you rather fill 50 barrels and have them age six to eight months and then figure out whether you've got something that's worth drinking or would you rather put it in 53 gallon barrels and wait two years before of you course. figure out whether or not you're going right. to be able to taste something. Or you can do a combination of both and then you kind of got some things to go. Very smart. So we did a combination of both <laughs> is what we did. And um, we started putting, we started putting down 53s after, I think it was maybe after about 10 months, we started putting 53s down because we tasted first. And we were like, okay, we're onto something here. This is good stuff. This is going to work. Here's the other thing you got to do. You got to realize, I said this a little earlier. Small barrel aged whiskey is different than 53 gallon barrel. Mm-hmm. Doesn't necessarily mean one's better than the other. It's different. <laughs> okay. You're not going to get them caramelized vanillas. You're not going to get those flavors in a small barrel. It's just not going to happen. The reason it's not going to happen is is because you don't have enough time for that whiskey to interact and and work with the wood. If you you wait that long in a 15-gallon barrel, some people say, oh, it starts to taste like, you know, the back aisle at Home Depot, right? (laughs) Um, A little bit too woody. 
the thing that you need to do, and this is where, you know, our Herman really comes in as, as, as our uh, distiller. Uh, he hates the word master distiller, so we don't call sure. each other whatever that is. But the, um, the key thing that happens is, is that you adjust the cut when you go heads, hearts, and tails. Mm. So if you're going a 53-gallon barrel, obviously you're going to take, you're going to take all the hearts and you're going to take tails. Now you take more tails for 53 than you do for 15. Right. Because there's chemicals in those tails that are not going to have time to adjust when they're in a 15-gallon barrel. That takes me all the way back around to batch numbers and bottle numbers mm-hmm. on, on craft whiskey. You can always tell a craft whiskey that doesn't cut their that that, that doesn't cut their tails the right way. Mm. You can tell because you get that you get that new reek and you get that chemical flavor, and that's one of the things you have to work very hard to understand and work hard to avoid. And when you're going out onto a, a bigger barrel and you're going for a longer a longer period or a longer run, you're able to control that. And you're able to get additional flavors out of that out of that wider cut which is really you know a lot of fun and where some of the skill comes into play so when you were initially thinking about these quarters with regards to the scotch that you really liked and then you mm-hmm. tested it with with your rye mm-hmm. did you come to the is there any did you were you able to identify how it impacted the rye and does it is there any difference between the scotch and the rye and reason maybe why you, they could use it more or you couldn't use it more you know because of where they're at and where you're at well, I, I'm, I'm not positive. I, I'm not positive, but I do. I do believe that uh, what uh, the Scotch guys do is they actually still do uh, a lower char, okay. uh, and in some cases they also use um, used barrels. Um, so, and that's one of the reasons why when you look at uh, quarter cast Lafroig, it's it's way lighter in color than you know what we're what yep. we're drinking here tonight. Gotcha. You're not picking up that that coloring agent in there mm-hmm. uh, that you get because the color all comes from the wood. And mm-hmm. well, and they may have reused the barrel multiple the times. Comes, so. All comes from the wood. Yeah. Um, okay. And um, so that's one thing. This, the, the second thing is, is yeah, I mean, I think they, I think they lay it in there longer because they're going with a lighter char. Yeah. Uh, they may even be doing a number two char if they're using new barrels. Uh, that's been suggested to us to do it that way. Uh, we chose, we chose not to. Uh, we continue doing what we're doing. Um, and, uh, but we still get, we still get really good sweetness and balance. Um, but we get our younger whiskeys are a lot, uh, spicier. Uh, there's a lot more pepper in there. You get a lot more of that, that green pepper. You will get, you will get jalapeno, uh, and you will get, which are all pleasant tastes. I mean, they're all great. I mean, you, you really like them. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. So as you all have ventured into, um, into new things, right. And, and, uh, before we opened up, you know, it's like, we always like to do a, a smell test, right? Hey, I don't want to say this if we're, if we don't want to go down a road and there was nothing by the way that we said we couldn't talk about. So mm-hmm. uh, we'll get it. We'll get into the dirty stuff in a minute, nasty stuff, whatever you want to call it, but, <laughs> um, the, the, uh, the, the late night show stuff, but as you've started venturing in and you brought it up earlier, but you know, you, you, it sounds like you guys had a really good, um, uh, baseline or structure kind of coming into this thing, given your, uh, your, your corporate experience, right. And from, Hey, let's, we, you know, obviously everybody has a business plan. Some may be more structured than others, but coming in from a corporate environment, probably used to a little more, you know, things kind of tightened up. 
So, so as you're doing that, and and you know, were, were there any, were there any? Uh, yeah, we don't need to be so restrictive on ourselves, or so, uh, so we, you know, our our governance. I mean, obviously, there are alcohol ATV laws that you or, or alcohol laws that you have to um, that you have to you know. But there's there are corporate or business laws that you as the corporation or LLC are operating under just as the stewards of the company. Right. How, how did that kind of change from your experience as, uh, you know, being in, in corporate America, that's very, you know, probably over-governed and restricted, but not so much unlike the alcohol world, but if it's your business and you can take some uh, I mean, you took a big chance, opening it up to begin with. Right. And it's like, Hey, it looks like things are booming. Are there, let's get in on the front end. That way we can kind of ride it. But sure. I guess, how, how did that kind of progress through where you, where dad's hat, uh, sits today? Well, um, okay. So, uh, we both worked at some point in time for publicly traded companies. Um, I was um, executive vice president of uh, sales and marketing for um, for a publicly traded company. So I spent uh, a lot of time on analyst calls and in analyst meetings and doing that type of stuff. Um, you really have to make sure all your I's are dotted and your T's are crossed. And you have to be very, very careful about what you say and what you don't say and how you say it and um, what you do with your facts and figures and, and, and all of those things for, for, for obvious reasons. Sure. Right? Um, it's the same thing when you go into the liquor business. Uh, you've got um, – a lot of rules and requirements with regards to uh, production, um, taxation, uh, how you how you handle all those things, um, and you can't you can't not do that stuff. I mean, so uh, one of the things that really helped us is uh, for both of us, given the, given the corporate backgrounds we had, those skill sets translated over very very well. Mm-hmm. Um, we're we're very good at managing cash flow. We're very good at managing operational costs. We're very good at making sure you know we we've got everything buttoned up and we're kind of moving it along. And we've done this on shoestring budgets from the day we started. Um, and we're we're used to trying to do more with less. And um, as a result of that, I think that's that's translated well. Um, we cut corners where it makes sense to cut corners. We don't ever cut corners in terms of what kind of ingredients we put into the product. I mean, we'll cut corners where, you know, Whiskey Magazine or some magazine will call up and um, we, you know, obviously we want to participate and do what we can, but we don't have a big marketing budget. So, you know, we will cut back there. And that hurts when we have to do that. But there's times when we have to do that. Um, there's certain shows that we won't participate in and things like that. Uh, COVID was brutal. Uh, we had a, you know, we didn't lay off an employee. Uh, we slowed down production. We kept the doors open. Uh, and we, we tried a couple of new innovative things. And we came out of it on the back end doing very well. I mean, we're up, um, we're up north of where we were uh, before COVID. Uh, nice. as of now, which is, which is great news. Um, but a lot of work, a lot of work involved, but you have to be, you have to be very careful. Um, you can't cut any corners with this stuff. We get people come to visit us all the time that are thinking of getting into this business. And you kind of look at them and you go like, really, you know, you, you can't do that. And, uh, right. 
So it's, it's interesting. No, that's, that's like, Hey, just keep doing it as a hobby in your garage or wherever you are and, and, and make it a hobby. It's yeah. And I guess that, that was my point of the question. I, in no way were I insinuating that, that you no, no, were, no, I understood, but I just wanted yeah, to, make yeah. sure, I wanted to make sure that, you know, it, someone's listening to this, they understand that it's, yeah. You know, it's it, it, no, it, it, it's, it's a business, right? And, and, and it's yeah. just because you went from a, uh, you know, a publicly traded and, and fortune, whatever it's, uh, you know, you, you, it's, it's still managed the exact same way there. I mean, there are no corners. Yeah, well, it, it helped us a lot. You know, it helped us in terms of working with distributors and getting to know distributors and how to approach them and, you know, trying to understand, well, you know, just because we, we love our whiskey doesn't mean that they're going to love our whiskey. And you have to understand, you know, what's in it for them and uh, why would they want to carry the brand? That, that's that sure. been very helpful. There's no one how to engage in those conversations. Sure. And I think you mentioned earlier, did you say 29 states you're uh, distributed in? 26. 26. Okay, sorry. Um, and then... Uh, and then and overseas, but we're... Yeah, and we, we can also... Tariffs but, to be resolved. We're starting to get back into that now. Yeah, and if I wanted to purchase at um, uh, dadshatrye.com, can I do that? Is that it, what's what's the limitation? Unfortunately, no. Okay. Uh, we are not allowed under our uh, limited distiller's license to ship out of state. If you lived in Pennsylvania, the answer is yes. Gotcha. Uh, but there are a, a ton of um, online retailers that do that do ship Dad's Hat. You know, several in California, there's a couple in New York, there's, there's, um, in multiple States, in multiple States, Illinois. Yeah. There are a lot of them. Yeah. We've, we've, uh, oddly enough, for some reason, we have a strong California following or West coast following. So that'll be good to hear for good yeah, we're to distributed, hear that we're they distributed can... by, um, Pacific edge out in California. They do a wonderful job for us. And, uh, we're in, um, we're pretty widely available in California. Yeah. Cool. We just launched in Hawaii. So when you go on vacation, nice. I love that. I guess you'll be uh, available in Georgia. You pro- probably need to make a visit, I guess, right? To make sure you're on the shelf. Yeah, soon. It's <laughs> an expensive trip to make to go sell a couple of bottles of whiskey, though. <laughs> Understood. Understood. Uh, okay, so talk us through the. Uh, so we've got a 2021 release of your bottle and bond dad's hat. Uh, obviously, 100 proof. But uh, you want to give us the why? I mean, I, I made a comment earlier. I'm glad to see you did that. Um, way to you know, take advantage of just with where you guys are in the history, what you're doing. I mean, the the uh, the you know where dad, what's what dad's hat is trying to uh, and what you not trying, what you are producing. The history behind the bottle and bond. I mean, it, I think it kind of you know, goes right along with. Uh, with the story, we didn't get into the story, by the way, about the hat. The bottle and bond uh, goes back into um, the whiskey purity laws is where bottle and bond came from. Uh, actually, Colonel Taylor, uh, <laughs> the famous Colonel Taylor, uh, was the gentleman that uh, introduced the concept of bottle and bond. Um, I always get this wrong, but I'm going to try and try and do it right. Got to be aged minimum of two years. It has to be from the same distillery. It has to be distilled in the same distilling season. Mm-hmm. Okay, it has to be one hundred percent chemical free, and it has to be uh, bottled in a bonded warehouse. So it's bottled bond. Uh, four years in New Oak. Right. Four years in New Oak. And four New years. Oak. I forgot. I forgot to mention New Oak. Yeah. Um, 
all of our whiskey is all in the world. Yep. Uh, so I have a tendency to over ignore that, but that's, uh, we only use our barrels one time. It's another thing that's very expensive, but, um, bottled and bond for us is, uh, is one of our fun projects. We do bottled and bond. Uh, we started doing a couple years ago and, um, we do a very, very limited release of bottles of bond and we do it, uh, once a year. We, uh, we bottle it in the fourth quarter, um, of that year. And we do a very limited number of barrels. So we handpick and hand select all the barrels that go into the bottle and bond. And we try to pick, uh, to paint a picture, uh, by putting all these individual puzzle pieces together. And each year our bottle and bond tastes different. Hmm. Uh, all rice. Yeah. The color is just incredible on this mm -hmm. one. Sure is. So the one you have, you have 2021, right? So we have, uh, so this was, uh, this is 2019. This is a five-year-old bottle of mud. Um, all these, these barrels were all, um, kiln dry. I'm excuse me, air dried Oak on uh, the barrels were seasoned for 36 months before they were assembled. Oh, so that's this one. This is a very peppery and it's got a lot of honey and pepper in there. Now this one, uh, I really like this whiskey. I mean, this is, this is, we just, we just released this. Um, I think the color on it is just gorgeous. It's got this beautiful golden red color. Um, again, very, very explosive nose. You're getting a lot of cut grass and, Hey, um, it's like almost a little bit of wet dirt you get in there. Um, definitely picking up green. There's actually some pepper and, um, so I'm, I'm getting like a ton of like, uh, like rye toasted bread, yeah. I, obviously, but, <laughs> but sometimes it's not as obvious as what you might think. And just like you, you mentioned the, the, like the, the grainy, um, uh, like the grain and the bread. Uh, it's not a yeast thing that I'm picking up on this one, but it's. Um... No, you're getting, I mean, the rye bread factor here is, is absolutely there. One of the, one of the things they always talk about with rye is baking spices, right? Yeah. Well, the other thing that happens with a good rye whiskey is you're going to pick up, you're going to pick up the yeasty bready, sweetness it's going to come it's going to come out almost uh not quite sourdoughy but you're going to pick that yep. that rye bread yeah yep. that rye bread thing is going to hit you and it's going to hit you in the nose and go all the way down the back of the nose down into the back of the throat and one of the things i always encourage people to do when they're nosing whiskey is to open their mouth and try to inhale through both your nose and the mouth at the same time because that's how you actually start to taste the whiskey before you actually put it in your mouth um, it's really a fun thing to do. And, um, that's where you start to pick up a lot of that bread, those bread notes. Um, on this whiskey, this one's a, this is a full mouthfeel. There's, there's all kinds of stuff going on here. This is really complex. There's a lot of cocoa powder in this, in this whiskey. It's, um, yeah, it's almost like, a, a well, you know how when you, when you're thinking about something and then somebody says something and you get something, I was thinking it was like a cinnamon bun or a cinnamon roll. But then when you said that, 
I, I immediately went back to French toast with like some cocoa powder sprinkled over top of it. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good, I haven't thought of that one before. That's a good one because you do get, in addition to that, you do get the, um, the sweetness that you would have in that as well. You get that sweetness there. The cocoa powder is there. Um, and then, but there's also mint, you're getting some peppermint and spearmint on the roof of the mouth. Um, along with a little bit of green pear, maybe a tart apple. Um, people will pick that up. And again, a hundred proof, it's, it's not ripping the back of your throat out. So, so this is one, um, three fingers and one big ice cube. This, this flavor will hit you in layers. It comes in waves. The complexity changes as that ice sphere starts to melt. Sure. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, it's like it's kind of like having three different pours or three different cocktails in a glass, yeah. if you will. Right. I mean, yeah. if you're if you're used to drinking neat or, you know, maybe just on the rocks. I mean, this is definitely going to not turn into a diluted whiskey. It's going to turn right. into a different flavor profile of something that's got enough backbone to kind of hold up to where you are. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. Mm. Or outstanding. Yeah. Or you could just drink too much of it because uh, it's like it's not it's not burning yet. No. I don't know why. Why, why should I stop? No. Well, it's is you know it, it's. It, I hate the word smooth when people describe whiskey. <laughs> I don't like to use it, um, but this has been described to me by my friends as this is this is dangerously smooth. Yeah, uh, it's because they'll crack the bottle and before they turn around, half the bottle's gone, and that's usually not a good idea. So I think that's, and, and a lot of people say that, right? It's like, well, smooth doesn't really tell me anything. You know, smooth is like a, I don't know. It's like, it's like after the Zamboni <laughs> runs over the, runs over the ice, you know, then that's smooth, right? Or uh, it's like, if you're laying down concrete and you're, you know, you smooth it. So I, I get it. I think that that's the, you know, I think that that's part of what this is, is helping people describe well, what does that, what does smooth taste like to you? Well, and, yeah. and just having no burn in the back of the throat. Okay. I can understand that, but it's really like, what are you really tasting out of it? Right. I mean, is it like, it's like, it's like, is it, is it too salt? I mean, if you're eating, it's like, Hey, that's got something in there. It's too spicy or it's too salty or it's too, it's too sweet. And, and I think that's really the direction of when people say it's smooth, I think that opens up a conversation as well. Right. Okay. I get it that it didn't burn, but what'd you really taste? Yeah. But the other thing too, Cal is when you, when you taste something that's really smooth, a lot of times it's because the people that are producing it have an elevated palate. And John did a great job with the sensory panel earlier on talking about where it's going to hit you and how it's going to develop through the tip and then the middle of the tongue and how it's going to go to the outside. And he has a really good idea about what he's trying to accomplish, which I think in turn makes it smooth and doesn't necessarily mean that it's the same as everything else that's smooth because everything is smooth could be exactly it could be different right but the way it hits you is it's going to be in a place where it's going to feel nice to you but it completely it could be completely different than something else that is also smooth no i i agree yeah yeah totally agree totally agree Jason Highland from Sub 70 Golf, and you are listening to Birdies and Bourbon.
Yeah. Well, these, these are two fantastic expressions that you put out uh, before the, the, um, the finish stuff that you're doing looks really fun. So I, I got to find a place to get some of those, uh, especially the vermouth uh, that that looks fantastic. I think I saw a Manhattan in there that's finished. Um, vermouth finish is uh, very unique. Um, I think as far as I know, we're still the only ones doing it. Um, so that is rye whiskey that is secondary aging. We do secondary aging in um, barrels that were used to age sweet vermouth. Okay. So uh, we don't add vermouth to the whiskey. The vermouth comes from the wood out of that barrel. Um, and what's really fun with that, with our finished whiskeys, here's a key thing about finished whiskeys. Um, the word finish is very important to us at that time. Okay. We don't want our finished whiskeys to take like a taste like a glass of wine that somebody accidentally dumped whiskey into. You guys are laughing. So you know what I mean? No, I, I, no, I I want a product that, well, you're going to tell it, you go ahead. It's It's a big thing. It drives me crazy. It's, it's a big thing for me. I mean, uh, we, we make whiskey. We sell whiskey. Right? We we think that secondary flavors can enhance the whiskey. Okay, so like this is our vermouth finish. Okay, so I, obviously I've been enjoying it a little bit, but this is our vermouth. <laughs> so it says right here, rye whiskey finished in vermouth barrels. But we literally get uh, vermouth. We we use vermouth from. Um, Quanti Winery in California, a vermouth called Vaya, V-Y-A. Hmm. Absolutely magnificent vermouth. It's it's delicious. Drinking oh, it on its own, it's fantastic. Okay. Makes a killer Manhattan. Great vermouth. American-made vermouth. We try to do as much American-made as we possibly can. Cool. So what we do is we take the classic rye, this guy, right? And we take it out of the blending tank at cast strength, put it in the vermouth barrels, let it sit in the vermouth barrels anywhere from four months north side of a year. Okay. And then we, when we're ready, we chase them, we pull them, blend them all together. And that's how we get to our vermouth finish. You get all that classic rice spice and everything up front. And then about three quarters of the way back on the tongue, the vermouth kind of goes, hi, I'm here. <laughs> and it's, it's great. It's really good. Yeah, it's just um, you don't need to make a cocktail anymore. You can just pour that over uh, a rock, and not that you need to do it anyway. I've but made, I'm saying if you a want lot to of make- people try to make Manhattans. Them. I don't. Uh, I will make a perfect Manhattan with them once in a while. Like I'll put a little dry vermouth in there. Uh, one of my favorite things to do with the vermouth finish is um, vermouth finish, uh, splash of simple syrup, and then four dashes of Aztec chocolate bitters. Hmm. Yeah, an old-fashioned ish. It's killer good. Really good. Hmm. Um, We also make a port finish. So our port finish, same concept. Um, Again, finish doesn't taste like a glass of port with some whiskey in it. Um, All these whiskeys, by the way, are all rated over 90 points. Every single one of them Mm -hmm. are rated over 90 points. Um, then uh, limited release, uh, we do a maple finish, and we also do a honey finish. Um, and those are, uh, again, no chemicals. 
all 100% natural. When we do um, each of these, again, the flavor comes from the wood. When we do a maple finish or we do a honey finish, we actually take uh, quarter casts and we'll fill them with, uh, with honey. We'll fill them with maple syrup. We'll let that honey or maple syrup age in the barrel, drain the maple syrup and the honey out of the barrel. We sell that. And then what we do is then we refill those barrels with whiskey and we let the whiskey age in those barrels. They're incredible. Um, again, limited release. Uh, so are you all doing single barrel releases yet? Yep. Or have, yeah, is that okay? So there, there's a list somewhere. All right. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, we do, uh, we've done single barrels with, um, with, people all over the country uh, sure. we've done single barrels of people all over the world we do them with bars we do them with restaurants we do them with distributors we do them with um um we actually there's just a couple of online places that have done them um so they 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 have but they've sold out i mean they, they've sold through them. uh but our single and this is what single barrels look like so can you okay, see that? Gotcha. It's, yep, I'm sorry yep, for yep. glare, but that they look like. Um, and we've had them go up as high as north side of 130 proof, 133 proof. Um, we just bottled one today uh, for a, um, a restaurant in Philadelphia. Um, they're going through. Um, they're going through over a barrel a quarter right now oh wow oh, sweet nice. it's yeah. fantastic for them and and great for us as well so we're very excited about that but yeah we do we do quite a few single barrels we've had we've had several whiskey clubs uh from around the united states now that have contacted us and come to visit us and uh, have started doing single barrels with us so, so we're it's, more than that happy to do that yeah, so that really took the whole single barrel thing. And we did um, with, with a partner of ours up in uh, in New York. Um, we did we did four this year, you know, in, in a collaboration. I'll say a collaboration okay. with him. Sure. Um, and uh, you know, it's it's something that's still intriguing to us, and you know, we'd like to to keep continue, and we're going to continue to do that. Uh, but it's so. What's your take on you know how did that kind of it, I mean, COVID, obviously, I mean, it was happening, right? But the yeah. whole single barrel stuff was kind of behind the scenes. And and with the pandemic, people had a lot more time to kind of, you know, to start digging into maybe a hobby or what have you. That was a, that it's like, yeah, do it every now and then. And that's kind of gone down a, down a road. Is that um, like, is it? Is it a good thing for you as a business and the industry, or is it something that do you think it's going to burn out over time? Just in your opinion, if you want to share. I think it's a good thing. Um, I think it's, it's fun for uh, the general public to understand the concept of what cast strength whiskey is and to taste cast strength whiskey. Um, I think it also helps educate people on this entire concept of age. Uh, Americans have been conditioned to think that older is always better when it comes to whiskey. Uh, And nothing could be further from the truth. Right. Um, And as you, as you really learn more about whiskey and you understand, you know, you know, 15 year old bourbon is not necessarily better than an eight year old bourbon. It's different. 
I think you've got a sweet spot. Somebody else has a sweet spot. Somebody exactly. else has a sweet spot. And exactly. it's not, I don't know if I want to be drinking 15 year old shit every day, even if it's extremely affordable. <laughs> I don't know that I want to be throwing back 15 years. Yeah. Well, it's never extremely affordable because older is always more expensive. I, um, and you know, it's, it, it's one of my favorite things to do with people is they go, well, what's your favorite, what's your favorite, you know, what's your favorite this? And they say, well, I only drink 25 year old, blah, blah, blah. Well, okay, fine. Good for you. Well, you know, why do you do that? Well, it's the best stuff on the market. Really? Okay. All right. So here, I'm going to pour you this 12 year old whoop de doo and you're going to have your 25 year old and you tell me which one's which. Mm. Okay. And they always pick the 12 year old. It's, it's really interesting. Um, it's, they're both magnificent whiskeys, right? But right. they're different. And it's right. the same thing. What's nice about cast about, about single barrels and cast strength is I think it's important that people understand that individual barrels taste different, right? No two barrels of whiskey taste the same. Nope. Um, the art of blending uh, is, is a, is an amazing thing. I mean, the fact that, you know, you can put out, without adding chemical flavor additives and be able to put out whiskey that's consistently in the same wheelhouse, bottling after bottling after bottling after bottling is not easy to do. And, um, but every now and then you get, you get some single barrels that you sit there and go like, wow. Okay. Oh my God. This is just like, this is incredible. This is a magnificent representation of what it is that we want to be. And for us, that's really fun. I mean, one of the things that the pandemic, caused us to do is, you know, we sat there and said, you know, we make this stuff and we taste it and we blend it all the time. Um, why in God's name are we not picking our own single barrels? Mm. And so we started doing this whole founders reserve thing where mm -hmm. we go sure. and we go through our stack and we go, yeah, we really like this guy. So we'll pull that barrel and, um, we sell it. We, we sell it online, um, on our, our, website, which is again, only in Pennsylvania, yeah, uh, but we have people driving across state lines. They come, they come to the distillery just to get it. Um, and we're like, great. You know, it's, 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 I think it's a very positive thing. Now to your point, is it a, um, is it a short, short lived trend? No. Single barrels are cyclical. They go like this. I mean, they're like really hot. Then they disappear. Then they get really hot and they disappear. I've, we've been doing this long enough. Now you see it. It goes in cycles. So right now they're hot. They're very hot. Six months from now, probably not. Who knows? Yeah. And then six months after that, they'll be hot again. What happens? You, you, you just got to get there when they're when the barrels are hot, uh, regardless of the people, right? <laughs> that, that's the trick. Yeah. I got to be there. Well, when it's, it's the right barrel. So. It's always fun. It, it's um, unfortunately with the pandemic, what we wound up doing is we we would pull samples. I'd ask people, so what kind of flavor profile are you looking for? And say, okay, fine. So I'll go find five barrels that I think will match and we'll send them five barrels. We'll send them samples and then they pick That's nowhere near as much fun as when they actually come to the distillery and you start walking them through racks and sacks and say, okay, let's try this one. Let's try this one. Let's try this one. Mm. Dan, I heard we got to get to Bucks County, buddy. I guess I, I, I keep saying Bucks County. Are you, you guys do come up. You absolutely have to stop by. I mean, but, we'd so love you're, to have you. you're in, in Bristol, but Bucks County, right? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, is it, what's the, there's a little town just, just stepped away from you. I think, is it called like Friendsville or Friendstown or French French town? What is it? French town? Maybe that's New where Hope. she lives. Uh, New Hope, Doylestown, Yardley. These are all the big ones that are nearby in Pennsylvania. And you get in New what, Jersey. Just, no, she she lives in Pennsylvania proper. A really, really good friend of mine and her family live there. Um, it, but it's uh, – and I, I've only been there a couple times. It has been a few years. But uh, I, I'll look it up. I'll, I'll shoot you a note when I'm up there because she'll kill me when she oh, hears you come up, and, You should come up and bring, bring your clubs. We'll go play some golf. And oh, we'll go drink. We're, we're going to get into that. We're going to get into that. Oh, yeah. So well, hold, hold on. Before we get to the – because I know we got to let you go. So before we get to the fun stuff, um, what uh, what else do – what's the listeners need to know about uh, Dad's Hat Rye and, and John Cooper and what you guys are doing up there? Well, you didn't ask me where the name came from, so I'm very surprised by that. But that's um, the, the, the name. The name. Um, that's that. When we uh, first started, like I said, we we wanted to bring back classic pre-prohibition Pennsylvania style whiskey, um, which several whiskey critics uh, we are now recognized as actually having done that, which we think is great. Uh, you know, like uh, Fred Minnick. Uh, mm-hmm last year when fred tasted our uh, bottle and bond and uh also our straight ride the year before that um our bottle bond was one of the finalists for whiskey of the year and he uh was like you know this is really what a rye should taste like this mm-hmm. is a true pennsylvania style rye that we were like yes mm-hmm. and so you know it's what we were trying to achieve so like, yes. when we when we did that we were looking for a name we were trying to come up with like a name when we first started off and um so Herman uh, actually um, started wearing his father's um, fedora style hats uh, back in the early '90s, and uh, he wore them way before they were cool. And um, he's worn them for a very, very long time. And um, we were looking at uh, a name that we wanted something different. We first started. We were thinking about coal, and we we're thinking about steel, yep. and uh, Mountain Laurel was the state flower which is the company name but we were trying to come up with a brand name for the whiskey yep. and we we're meeting with our marketing team from signature communications and uh there's a guy in the back of the room he started drawing up the label and he goes you know you guys ought to call it dad's hat he went, that's the stupidest name we ever heard we can't call it that <laughs> no 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 just listen to me it's just you know, boardwalk empire is really popular right now mad men is really popular right now yep uh, Stetson Fedora hat is an iconic American symbol. It's yep. associated with prohibition and gangsters and cocktails and speakeasies. It's a perfect spot on thing. And then on top of that, the original Stetson factory was in Philadelphia. Oh, wow. I didn't know so that. we were like, I didn't know that. That That's that's cool. So, so this hat that's on this label here, mm-hmm. this hat actually exists. Herman still has that. So- so yeah. it's uh, it's Herman's dad's hat that he's still wearing. So I can't lie, I cheated a little bit, and I was I was trying I was reading up on it. So that, that was uh, that was my miss, and I I did get the story about his dad's hat, but I, I read it. So okay, that's cool. it, But he did say in his uh, so if you go to um, uh, if I misquote it, you'll correct me. But dadshatrye.com. Mm-hmm. You'll uh, you can read that's the story. That's right. There's several videos on there. There's several things. 
about us. There's even some videos of me making cocktails. So if you guys watch them, I might be up to like four. Videos. Ooh, no, no, that's <laughs> on your you. That's on your YouTube site, sir. That's on our YouTube thing. So, so I definitely gave you another one today, and you actually made a Boulevardier, and it looked like. I did. Well, so I, I got a question. So now that we're now that well, before I get to the questions, um, what anything else that we missed, or and we can always do this again. Oh, of course we can always do it. I'd be more than happy to do it again. Um, I don't think we missed anything. I mean, it, it, um, we didn't talk about fermentation. We do, um, like I said, we're a hundred percent natural. There isn't anything in our, in our whiskey that's chemical based. Um, we get all of our grain from one source. It's one single farm. Yeah. We do a control temperature fermentation. We use a, uh, 500 gallon, uh, hybrid still from Carl. This is, you know, if you're, if you're uh, chemistry yeah. geeks, they're going to want to know this. So we use a 500 gallon still with a side column, an integrated side column. We uh, do two distillations. Um, and we use the side column in the secondary distillation. Uh, we put our whiskey in the barrels at 120 proof. Comes off the still at 159, goes into the, goes into the barrels at 120. So we cut it with purified reverse reverse osmosis water at that at that point, um, and then you know, we age everything on site. So we have from day one made every single drop of Dad's hat at our place in Bristol. We've never sourced. You've made a damn good whiskey here, and you've made a damn good whiskey here. I'll be Thank exploring you. many more. So there you go, right, John. So the label. Where was the inspiration from the label? I, I love it, number one. And I love, okay. all the, I love all the whiskeys we've tasted so far. I mean, you guys have done an outstanding job. Fred's a friend of the show. Can't I can't agree with him more in terms of his his what he said about you guys. It's everything's outstanding. The label was very interesting because it's catchy. It's got kind of a Rolex sub red sub kind of feel to it. I'm not sure if that was inspiration or not, but uh, but where, where did it come from? Okay, so. Um, so this label, okay, the bottle. All right, first of all, the bottles. These bottles are uh, they're a custom bottle. Uh, they're made for us uh, by uh, Anchor Hockey out in uh, Manaca, Pennsylvania. Um, and uh, so you have the key Pennsylvania Keystone, and the hat is embossed up here in glass on the top. It says the perfect fit across the back. Two rye sheets. I'm going to explain why this is important. Okay, and the label is in the shape of a keystone. The bottle is in the shape of a keystone. So if you go back in history, right, Pennsylvania is known as the Keystone State. Okay, so we tried to use that. A little kitschy, but it also makes the bottle stand out on the shelf. Right, you do a lot associated with height, and you do a lot associated with depth. So this bottle is that wide, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is designed so we could put an entire six pack on a shelf in a retail location in the same amount of space that the round bottle guys can fit to three. <laughs> <That's> smart. <laughs> uh, it's very smart and very important. And the reason it's important is because shelf space is a huge problem. Real okay. estate. Same thing with a bar. Okay. It fits in a well also stands out on the shelf behind the bar. So when it comes to bartenders, bartenders have 
big hands like I do, or they have very small hands. Okay? A lot of the problems, a lot of custom models, the folks with smaller hands, they can't pick up the bottle. They have trouble pouring it, right? So when you pick up Dad's hat, this finger hits the logo here. This finger hits Ooh, the, the right sheet and the letters in the back. The bottle doesn't slip. Very comfortable to pour. Nice. I love this. My design. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, marketing is an interesting thing. So, so but, where did uh, on the primary? On your, I'm sorry, you first. Okay, the, where did the red, the red in Pennsylvania come from? The red. Mm -hmm. Okay, so when we were looking at different labels, we were looking at different color designs. Uh, when we first started off uh, with the classic rye, so this is yellow, gray, black, and red colors that pop and then it kind of designed to kind of catch your, catch the eye is where those colors come from uh and then the this, this label originally we actually glossed this label up just a little bit when we first came out with this it was much rougher okay. it was a lot rougher than this it was supposed to be like very 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 old school and uh we're told like eh, it's a little too kitschy so you know dress it up a little bit so we did that um we went, since we have so many different expressions of rye, one of the reasons why we went green, um, green has become the de facto color for rye. I have no idea why. Uh, so we wound up going to a green and a buff yellow label for our straight rye. Mm -hmm. um, the red, the red, black, and gold here, mm -hmm. um, we wanted it to look richer. Hmm. We wanted it to look we wanted to look um, richer, deeper, fuller, lush. Um, and we also think the red makes the color of the whiskey stand out a little bit more. Uh, we also had to, uh, we had to differentiate it from the green label. Hmm. That's where the red comes from. But the red is very eye-catching and it stands out on the shelf next to the others. Interesting. All interesting, for sure. Now, there's a lot of thought that goes into the labels. I mean, the the... the the key thing when you're when you're putting, you walk in a liquor store, right? You've got how many different bottles of whiskey there, and and in a lot of places, what happens is they 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 put the rye in with the bourbon. They don't they don't separate it, which makes it even harder. So, the key thing that you have to try to do is you got to get people to pick the bottle up. Right, that's step one. Mm -hmm. You got to get them to pick the bottle up. If you can get them to pick the bottle up, you're halfway home. Once they pick the bottle up, then they start to read the label and they look at the label and they look at it. And so, if it's an intriguing story on the side and it's an intriguing label and intrig then you'll get them to try it. Then, of course, they take it home, they try it, and they like it. Then they might buy a second one. Um, but the but the key thing is is to get them to pick it up. Interesting. Yep. Fun stuff. Thank you for sharing that. No, that's fine. A lot of thought went into that. Like I said, I thought it was more of like, uh, and you described it perfect. You know, I, but I'm, a, I'm kind of a watch guy. So when I think about it, I'm thinking of like, um, so if you look at a Rolex. He's thinking that, the master's version of the Rolex uh, Submariner that's all green and you got the green no, platform. No, no, the no just, just the black with the red, right? You see that, right? Or 
Um, that's a little out of my price range. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's why you're still in business. <laughs> Working towards things, I'm sure. I don't know. I bet if you held your hand up, if you had your wrist up, there's probably a watch on there. Maybe not. Oh, you're not showing another. No, watch I think hand. he. I think he. Oh, me? No, no, I'm good. I'm good. Oh yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, so John Cooper, uh, co-founder of Dad's Hat Rye, Pennsylvania style rye, by the way. Uh, we got some fun questions to kind of run through this we thing do. with it in the show with you. We do. Okay. Um, so you said you're so you're a New York guy, mm-hmm. uh, bo- born and raised. Uh, you're now in Pennsylvania, I'm assuming. Yep. All right. So let's go to New York. Uh, you go and um, I got to think about how I'm going to do this. You got to go pizza or hot dog? <laughs> no, uh, no, it's. <laughs> pizza yeah pizza it's gotta be right, pizza. It's, going, it's, going, it's going it's going pizza okay um and then uh do you have any do you have a favorite when you get back to new york it doesn't have to be pizza it could be any restaurant could be a, a whiskey bar bourbon bar uh where are you sending people when they're hey i'm traveling up to new york well that we're gonna do the same for uh for for bucks county so or bristol but uh, where are you sending me in New York if I'm saying, hey, by the way, before I get to uh, Bristol, PA, I got to make a stop in New York City, somewhere thereabouts. Where are you sending me? For pizza? No, it could be anything. Anything. Uh, pizza, you got to go to Louis. Uh, you go to Louis Pizza. It's oh, on Crosby God. Avenue in the Northeast Bronx. Ah. This is good. Yeah, I love they this. Make, uh, it's on Crosby and Edison Avenue in Northeast Bronx. They make um, killer pizza. Hmm. They make pizza the way pizza is supposed to be. Perfect. So, John, we're coming into your no, place. Exactly. There you go. If we're coming into your place, where are we playing golf at? Well, I'm a member at St. David's Golf Club. Uh, so St. David's Golf Club is actually in St. David's, Pennsylvania, which is uh, not far from Valley Forge Park uh, near um, Wayne, Pennsylvania. Uh, it's a uh, Donald Ross course. Oh, wow. Um, and um, it's a par 70. Uh, we're coming up on our 125th anniversary wow. uh, this coming year. Um Beautiful clubhouse, great membership, uh, rock solid membership, great membership, really, really rock solid people. And uh, just a magnificent golf course. Uh, we went through the Overbrook effect a couple of years ago where we took down a lot of trees. Right? Uh, so uh, if you like uh, thick, lush, long, rough, and um, small. Not, not when I'm in it. Rings. Not when I'm in it. <laughs> Yeah, not when you're in it. That's for damn sure. And uh, screaming fast greens uh, uh, with uh, lots of twists and contours. You'll love St. David's. But uh, but uh, so let me just cl- so. But you're on or uh, in the course is is built on the state park. No, 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 no. No, okay, okay. Built no, up, no. up, up next. Now we're not far from. It. I mean, like it's, okay, it's, you're close for, to. It. I got for, you. for geographic reference point, people go wearing heaven's name. Yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Where, where's Bucks County? At, so right? we're um, like famous landmarks near where we are. Uh, my golf course is actually in. Um, it's in Chester, and Montgomery County. Uh, it's right on the border of both, and it's uh, so we're close to. Um, 
famous landmarks would be Valley Forge National Park, yep. uh, Villanova University. Yep. A lot of people know who Villanova is. So it's right near there. Um, the distillery is in uh, Bucks County, uh, and we're actually in uh southeastern bucks county we're right above the city of philadelphia is where the distillery is cool cool yeah uh all right so a couple more and then dan will have a couple so you already mentioned a couple of cocktails that you make is there another cocktail that you want to mention or that you're a fan of no well um i'm yeah i mean my favorite cocktails obviously i've been uh i love manhattan's um Massive fan of whiskey sours. Um, summertime, they can't get enough whiskey sours. I think they're underrated and they're magnificent if they're made right. Um, I also like New York sours, which is where you take the whiskey sour and you put the little wine floater on the top. <laughs> you had those? No, I haven't. No, oh, I'm well, gonna. Okay. You make, <laughs> no, whiskey sour, I'm make whiskey sour without the egg white, without the egg white, and then uh, take a little, um, um, like a nice uh, dry red, like Shiraz or Syrah, um, and over the back of a bar spoon, pour yeah, a, a little floater a, up, like a half ounce over top, and it acts like a floater. Um, and then you're drinking the whiskey sour through the wine. Yeah, I, yeah. I guess I maybe, but I would probably use like a Benedictine or like this, just a touch or two of like Benedictine. That works. That works. Yeah. It's a little different. Yeah, that, that yeah. works. Um, oh, and, and I would never make a sour without the egg white. I feel like I'm shortchanging. My, well, I'd probably make a gin sour. In it, like a fizz. I'm confusing a fizz with a sour. I, I'm, I've derailed us here. Here's the th- here's the thing I tell people about cocktails all the time, right? You've got you've got all your classic cocktails. So you've got your Manhattans, your Sazeracs, your whiskey sours. You get you go down the entire list. Your Boulevardiers. There, there's a reason the recipes are what they are. Yep. But a lot of people, your, your typical people, they they get nervous when they try to make these things. It's it's not a science experiment. It's not going to explode. You 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 do what you're going to do. Like when I make a Manhattan, we make a Manhattan with Dad's hat. There's a there's a very subtle back flavor of um, dark cherry or black cherry on the back end of Dad's hat, and we try to bring that out when we do a Manhattan. So if I do a Manhattan, I'm going to do three parts Dad's hat to one part sweet vermouth. I typically will use Via or or another i already mentioned via but yep. there's several other different vermouths on the market that we would use but um i like an aromatic vermouth so we use three parts that hot one part vermouth um i use angostura bitters and i use cherry bitters okay and then what i do is i wash the cocktail glass in luxardo cherry liqueur Ooh. So i rinse the inside of the glass i dump that out and stir Right, stir with ice and strain, and throw a couple of Luxardo cherries in there. Mm. It's like, yeah. Oh no, I I can uh, I'm may do that. That's my favorite cocktail. I may do, I may do that later tonight. I don't know. Oh, That's gosh. my favorite cocktail, and they have that in a mini barrel on the bar at St. David's, and it's the number one cocktail at the bar. Oh, nice. But um, I love an old fashioned. Old fashions, uh, I make them. I use uh, I use typically Peychaud and and you sort of better use both. I use uh, a little bit of each. 
I'm a big fan of mixing uh, bitters myself. I, I like, I to, like to use multiple types and kind of add. Yeah, to I do too. too. I, I think, you know, they're, they're, they're a lot of fun. You mix yeah. them up. I mentioned the one, uh, the vermouths with, uh, the Aztec chocolate bitters. Um, yeah. that's amazing. That drink, it, 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 it makes people's brains hurt because it's really, it's got so much different kinds trying of flavors. To, going yeah. On trying to pick fun. out all the stuff inside um, of it. Yeah, but cocktail, cocktails cocktails should be fun. There was one um, I made up that we were in an event uh, one time, and they say, okay, we need a hack cocktail. I said, okay, fine. So um, all I had, I had limes, and I had simple syrup, and I had dad sat. That's like a weird combination, right? I don't think so. So I, I took um, lime juice, simple syrup, dad sat, and I put a couple of shots of Tabasco sauce in it. <laughs> It's, it's like a dad's spicy daiquiri. And it's called My Hat's on Fire. Uh, <laughs> I like this. And, uh, it's, it's really good. It's, it's, it's an amazing alternative to, uh, to like a margarita or something like that. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a fun drink to make with rock. Yeah, I, I was thinking Hem- Hemingway's daiquiri without the rum. Oh, that'd work. Yeah, that would work. Yeah, yeah it definitely would work. Or it'd John. be called Hem- Hem- Hemingway's Spicy Hat. <laughs> Favorite yeah, club in the bag, John. I'm sorry. Favorite club in the bag. My favorite club in the bag. Uh, well, not the way I've been playing lately. <laughs> um, I'd have to go with a um, four hybrid. Oh, okay. I like right. my four hybrid quite a bit. Cool. And um, six iron. I like six iron. Wow. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Any any golf trips planned uh, in the in the near or far future? Uh, we're talking about going over to Wales. I'm not sure if we're actually going to be able to pull that off. Uh, we were supposed to do that last year. We didn't get to do it. Um, but I do go uh, with a bunch of buddies uh, every year uh, in March. Uh, a bunch of guys from our club. We go down to uh, Pine Needles. Oh, yeah. nice. So we go, we play pine needles, we play southern pines. We do that every year. Uh, so that'll be at the uh, at the end of March. Uh, very much looking forward to that. That is a very, very fun trip. Uh, there's a lot of whiskey, a lot of Manhattans, a lot of cigars, and a lot of laughs. And it's just like it's a great trip. Oh, yeah. Dan, uh, Dan and I are heading to uh, Pinehurst pretty soon. Pretty ah. soon. Yeah, we played there. We played there one year. We went. We uh, we went. We stayed. We stayed right at Pinehurst. That uh, yeah. we had a magnificent time. I mean, he, I mean, good lord, it's incredible, right? Um, we've played pretty much every golf course in that town. And, have you played? Uh, um, have you played Tobacco Road yet? No, I've not played that one. All right, put What's it put it on put it on your list. And uh, Martha and Morgan. Uh, so Martha, um, she's, uh, she runs the club and Morgan runs the, uh, he's Back the superintendent. Road, write that down. <clears throat> yeah. Martha and Morgan, I'll send, I can send you their information or look them up yeah, there. We, we get an opportunity. We will put them on, we'll put them on the schedule. Yeah. Fun, uh, fun place. Yeah. Fun, fun place and fun people. Very, 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 very friendly people in a very fun place. But also it's, it's a Mike Strantz, um, architect on it. And he did some okay. very, very interesting golf courses that you could do and there's a bunch of them here in the southeast between here and, and uh myrtle beach virginia. And some virginia yeah, there's virginia. some really yeah. interesting golf courses very yeah, no, unique look yeah yeah 
Yeah. No, yeah, we yeah. Would, that and then we got we go down and we go to West Virginia every year. We go to a place called Ogilvy Park. I go with I go with a couple guys. Ogilvy Park. It's a um, it's a Palmer and a Nichols uh, Nichols uh, Nicholas course, and uh, you you spend your entire time like this, like this, like this. <laughs> Oh yeah, straight up and straight down. Straight up, straight down, sideways. There's no such thing as a flat spot. It, so, it really messes with your brain. So what you're saying is it's all gas golf carts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Electric would never make it through the hills. No. Yeah, that that's fun though, uh, and it's in West Virginia. I said, like near yeah. the ski near the ski resort. Uh, I think they do actually do some skiing. Is it, like, uh, is it Winter Park that's in West Virginia? I mean, I, I usually... This is near Wheeling. This is up near Wheeling. It's just not far from Pittsburgh. So it's a bunch of buddies from Pittsburgh and Columbus, Ohio. It's like sort of in a place there. Yeah, that's I mean, cool. there's so many places. It's always fun to hear about. No, you can just, you know, it's, um, it's just fun to get together with people and, you know, go play golf and, uh, and relax and drink some whiskey and drink some whiskey while you're playing, drink some whiskey when you're after done playing. It's always fun. Just drink some whiskey and talk about drinking whiskey. John Cooper, we have kept you longer than you allotted, sir, but we do appreciate your time so much. This is um, fun. We, we would, we'd really, uh, you know, when, whenever you got a new release coming out or something, uh, you know, 2022, uh, if the golf events or anything that, uh, that dad's hat, uh is doing we'd love to be involved we'd love to help spread the word man any way we can any way we okay. can john okay. fa- favorite stick on the course i'm sorry cigar favorite stick <sighs> see I, I had to ask i'm sorry cal. i didn't want to cut you off cal i'm sorry but he he, he went to it earlier while i'm playing or after i'm playing eh, either one either one all right. Uh, while I'm playing, I typically like to smoke uh, Rocky Patel edges or uh, mulligans. They're pretty good. Nice. Uh, and then uh, post round, I'm a big fan of Ashton Maduro's. Mm. Um, and I also like Maduro their cabinet series quite a bit. Nice. I, I can see why if you're drinking dad's hat or something similar, I can see why that Maduro would pair really well with this. Uh, yeah. A- Maduro's go really well. I, I like, I, I like a Maduro. Um, I started smoking a lot of nubs too. Um, mm. the nub, the number doors, uh, and they're Connecticut rapper, but, but, um, <laughs> the nub Maduro with, not- um, our, uh, straighter bottled and bond. Excellent. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Sorry, awesome. Sorry about that. No, 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 all good, Ben. John Cooper. Guys, if you're ever up in our area, definitely please stop by. Uh, we'd love to host you. And, um, you know, if you are, you are thinking about single barrels, absolutely. Come on up and pick one out or we'll pick one for you. We'll send them to you. So, awesome. so we're he- we're heading your way when uh, we know we can play golf, and we know yeah. you've got some. Uh, you know, when you got availability, we're on, on the way. That's pretty much April on. Yep. Um, the courses, courses are opening days are usually April. Um, our course will be in uh, magnificent shape by April. Uh, so, yeah, I'd love to host you. We'd love a yeah, blast. We'd awesome. love to schedule something, and uh, hopefully, there's a place we can just set up and record, man. There you go. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers, guys. Right. Be well. Happy holidays. Happy so holidays. Talk. Absolutely. And to you. All right. All right. Okay, take care now.